often faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzer. Great to be with you today. And let's just jump right into this conversation with Jake Stringer. I got introduced to Jake from one of you, which makes this even more fun. So interesting, so fascinating in so many ways. So enjoy this wonderful conversation with former pastor and founder of Abbaology, Jake Stringer. All right, Jake Stringer, great to be with you today. I'm excited yeah. about um, meeting you because every once in a while, I have a listener of this this podcast. Which, first of all, that's encouraging that people listen. But secondly, yes, it is. Yeah, when they when they care enough to recommend that I reach out to someone, and you are one of I don't know, I could count on both my hands how many times people have said, "Hey, you've got to talk to someone," wow. and you're one of those people. So, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Yeah encouragement for you and for and for me so i'll preemptively say you're welcome and i'm sorry for whatever happens <laughs> yes now people are going to be coming at this a little bit blind and you're going to be new to them like a lot of folks on this podcast are so just give us maybe maybe why don't you start give us a little bit about who you are on a personal level you know where you live family anything you want to share well uh, now i live on the coast of ecuador in a town called alone which is a beach town of about 1,200 people. We have three kids, my wife, Michelle, and I. Um, we, we were pastors in eastern Kentucky from 2013 to 2019. Um, before that, I went to a Bible college called Karis Bible College, which is um, the leader or the founder there is a guy named Andrew Womack. And the message there was kind of what they call uh, the grace message. So if any of your listeners are familiar with like Joseph Prince or, or Andrew, they're kind of the big grace guys. And I grew up evangelical, um, Baptist, and then Christian, uh, but pretty fundamental. Uh, almost everything was off limits, you know, cards, dancing, cussing, um, somewhat legalistic, and a lot of fear, specifically fear of the rapture, fear of hell, um, and then Andrew's message in 2010 came to me from my mother-in-law. And it really did. When you look back, I, I view it now as a launch pad. But that message that, and specifically about my salvation, meaning uh, of the very narrow fundamental definition of salvation, which is going to heaven when you die instead of hell. Um, I was always afraid I was going to go to hell because I could never get my I could never meet the standards of the behavioral code. And, uh, you know, and so your eternal destination was totally based on how well or how poorly uh, you were following the behavioral code. And in my case, it was the same as it is with almost all of us, which is I could never meet the behavioral code. And I remember falling asleep, confessing my sins because the preacher taught if you fall asleep with unconfessed sins, you'll wake up in hell. Um, you know, or if that, Jesus, is, that is so scary. Oh my, yeah, it's horrible. But it's very common here. Here in I call it the religion belt, not the Bible belt. Okay. Because if 
you know, if you actually go into a, you know, some deeper study of the Bible or you read some legitimate Bible scholars from around the world, you begin to see that those things are, are more man-made than actually there. So uh, Andrew's message finally got to me to believe that my eternal destination was secure because of what Jesus did, because essentially he followed the behavioral code on my behalf. So when, but it was still be in the behavioral realm only. God was a uh, very minutia obsessed taskmaster, um, but I did, but I did want to please him. That brought me a lot of freedom. I could finally, like, oh, I could go to sleep. I stopped confessing my sins every night. Brought me a lot of freedom. But while I was there, I just discovered um, that I kind of have an excavator's heart. Like I just, I just love to dig, and I really want to know or get as close to what's true as possible at a given stage. And even while I was still there, especially my second and third year at Bible college, I started to frustrate some of the teachers just with the questions. I was never disrespectful or anything, um, but just asking some questions. And then that passion to, to ask the questions really just grew, you know, and still is still with me today. I mean, um, still digging, still excavating. And when you excavate, sometimes you're surprised what you find. When you dig and you find something different than you were told was there, all these challenges come, like relational challenges. Like if you shift your belief on this or that theological tenet, you know, you've got people that, are, that are, have stakes in the ground where you just came from, you know, that may fall to the wayside that, that begin calling you heretical and things like that. So I would say I started being called a, her a heretic in 2013. Um, but it's usually by the people that are um, staying where I, I previously was, so to speak. Um, and no stage on the journey is better than the other. They're all necessary. I really like what Richard Rohr says. He says, transcend and include. So, you know, I don't curse where I've, where I've been on the theological journey. But um, what was interesting is my final year at, at that Bible college, um, I had a guy give me a prophetic word that I was on a launch pad and there was no ceiling above me. And I had no idea what that meant at the time because Andrew's message had liberated me so much. I never thought there would be more to the theological rabbit hole than what I learned from him. Um, but now, nine years after I got that, quote, prophetic word, uh, I see it, it was true. You know, some prophetic words, people miss it. Sometimes people get it right. Um, I don't know if you have any history in the spirit-filled or charismatic church, but that was a very charismatic uh, Bible college, Pentecostal, you know, uh, teaching healing and all of that stuff. So uh, it was a launch pad. So, uh, and now I almost, Christianity itself can even be a launch pad. You know, sometimes Jesus has to deliver you from what you think is him you know, and isn't. So I'm still following Jesus. Absolutely. I still, he's still amazing. Absolutely. The one thing I want to hit before we jump more into the abology idea that you have and the courtroom versus the, the family room, which I love that. Um, oh, yeah. I want, I want to give some people some hope from a, a practical standpoint as well. And yeah. there's a, a reality, especially for people who worked in the church, but I think people who go to church and things like that as well, when they start, um, doubting some of the, the 
constructs of churches or the church that they're in. Um, maybe when they start questioning things, I know you and I have talked about how we both lost a lot of friends along this journey. And one of the big questions that often comes up, especially for people who are working in churches is if I don't do this, what can I do? And how do I live a vibrant faith life without it being connected somehow. And I know, uh, you know, part of my story is that I always felt so stifled because if I asked the wrong questions or if I said the wrong things, there was always, you know, a job connected to it as well. And so I always felt like there were certain things I could say, or I had to get very creative with how I said things. I know you experienced some of the the same where you talked about that you were telling me earlier that when you started talking about hell at your church, the numbers started dwindling and and some of the really hard subjects, like people just didn't want to hear it. And, and the numbers even of attendees at your church started going down. And so I think a lot of people need to know that there are other options out there of how you can even make a living so you can continue on this spiritual journey. I had a friend of mine who used to be a, a speaking pastor at a mega church. And after he left that for a gazillion reasons, he said, I just feel like a speaker without a venue. And I remember after he said that to me, I just, I just wow. refused to claim it because I was like, this is a big yeah. world with all sorts of opportunities. Yeah. There has to be other ways that we can move forward in our faith life and also make a difference in this world. So even from a practical standpoint, you know, you guys just moved your family back in November to Ecuador and you didn't do that because you had some great job opportunity or anything like that. You did that because you wanted to experience something different, but from a practical standpoint, how even did you do that? Well, the last couple years, um, and everything you said is very true. Um, you need a form that allows for growth and curiosity. Um, you know, and Jesus described it with the wineskins, uh, you know, and if you are a question asker, if you're somebody that really wants to dig, sometimes those forms lack the pliability to allow you to, to question and grow and ferment, so to speak. So first of all, I identify with that struggle very much, uh, very much. I was lucky as a pastor that I didn't have anyone telling me what I could or couldn't tackle. Um, and so I'm super thankful about that. Um, but we, we started to gather uh, residential rental properties. Um, so Eastern Kentucky is a great place to get into residential rentals because you can buy you know, a three-bedroom, two-bath rent-ready house for fifty to sixty, sixty-five thousand dollars, um, which is not possible in a lot of other areas. It's a good place to get into it, and so we started to gather those rentals over on the side, so to speak, when we were um, pastoring. And specifically, the story started like this. Um, I started to see rentals as a way I could get out of pastoring because I felt that what you were describing, I felt that so strongly, even in my church where I could teach whatever I wanted, just the, the obligation to the Sunday gathering. Uh, I was worship pastor and pastor. So uh, we were doing, you know, we started doing Ableton tracks the last year or two. So I'm spending hours getting those Ableton tracks together every week and then preparing for what I'm going to speak on. And then also uh, people are leaving the church because of what we're talking about and all these emotional things that people are ceasing to talk to me. So all those difficulties were happening. And I started to really yearn for a way out of pastoring because although it began as a, as a great liberating thing, it, what was once liberating became confining. And so, uh, yeah, we got to enough 
uh, rentals to where we could think about not not having any income from pastoring. That happened in 2019, maybe the middle of 2019. And uh, we were barely making enough to, to live in Kentucky and to stop pastoring. Um, but I also had this abology thing in my heart that I didn't want to stop and I still don't want to stop. And wherever that leads. Uh, so uh, we, we told the church and then the COVID stuff happened, we stopped the church. And that's when we started looking at, and this is the second part of my answer. So look for options, practically speaking, where you can create passive income so that you can follow your heart with all the time you'll have when you have that money coming in uh, without you punching a clock. Um, so that's uh, part one. And then part two would be, and this might really be ra- a radical thought, but think bigger than the United States. Uh, you know, I, I say this and it might Uh, I say it with a heart of gratitude, but I believe we're taught two religions in the United States. One is Christianity, usually, whether it's in the form of uh, evangelicalism or Catholicism, predominantly, of course. And then the second one is the religion of America. And I'm very thankful to have been born in America, uh, but there's a bigger world out there. And just like we were lied to about God and the goodness of God, you know, a lot, we were lied to a lot about, about America. And uh, again, nothing but a heart of thankfulness, just like my heart posture towards growing up evangelical. So there are places in the world you can move that cost, like right now we're in coastal Ecuador and it costs one third to one fifth what life costs cost in uh, Eastern Kentucky. So the money we make from our rentals essentially makes it where we can do whatever we want here in Ecuador. And in Ecuador, you have the Amazon, you have the Sierras, you have the coastal region, and you have kind of the deserty area all in a country the size of Nevada. Now we can adventure all over Ecuador with our kids and show them this incredible life. And even intra TRA continental flights are so much cheaper in Europe and South America than domestic flights in the States. So there are much cheaper places to live so if you can if you can think creatively on ways uh, to create passive income, that's going to create the most freedom for you to follow the message that is always stirring around in your heart. Pastoring became like a confining space uh, to go, especially when we started talking about rapture, hell, sin nature, inerrancy, LGBTQ, those things. You actually need a new form where you can continue to be curious. So, uh, yeah, pass, passive income, uh, think of ways that you can reduce your expenses so that you need less to live. So if you're that type of person that needs that freedom to move around, you know, right. uh, to progress forward in your faith journey or for that, if you're that type of person that doesn't want to just feel bound to a certain place, whether that's theologically or, or geographically, right. You know, there's ways to do that. We're, we're moving into a new type of reality in our world. And even if you're not doing it for passive income, you know, post COVID, especially there's so many opportunities where you can work online. And so the whole point, and the reason I wanted you to share that is just to give people this, this, this thought that, Hey, there's other ways to do this. If you have a dream and you want to share something, or you have something to share into this world, there's ways to set yourself up in a space 
where you can freely share that, where you're not worried about, you know, nobody who has your rental properties cares what your theological stance on homosexuality is, you know? So you can be free to do that. When I started this podcast, I was in the same space. There was nobody that was, nothing was going to affect my income based on what I said on this podcast. And I've continued to stay in that space and I, and I, you know, at this point I had those same thoughts when I left the church world, I remember thinking that might've been the last time I ever spoke in front of a group of people ever again. Right. And now I do that pr- predominantly as my livelihood. And I don't ever have to worry about the things I used to worry about. And so the reason I bring this up is very simply, right. if you're out there listening and you don't know how to make this transition or you're worried, right. it's not possible. Again, this is another human being who shows that, Hey, there's ways you can be creative. There's ways that you can get into the space that you want to get to, to express whatever it is that you want to express, which in your case, which I want you to dig a little bit more into now, this idea of Abbaology. Now I grew up Catholic. So I grew up in a space where (laughs) I remember when I was a young kid, I would literally go to sleep crying, wondering who's going to hell, who's going to heaven. And I was convinced, you know, if my parents had a bad day, I was like, Oh, great. (laughs) You know, mom and dad are going to hell. Like as a little kid, I was like, Oh my gosh, about this stuff. And so heartbreaking, right. It is, you know, we can, I can laugh a little bit about it now, but I mean, put yourself back in that space. It was, you know, it was a sad space to be in and same thing, like worrying, you know, worrying if I didn't say the right prayer before I died. <laughs> you know, it's just right. like, oh my gosh. And so this idea of um, getting out of the courtroom into the family room, I feel like it's not only a shift in our way of thinking about faith. I think I could totally be wrong on this. It feels like a shift that we're doing almost this worldwide shift of rethinking the way that we, we live life. And so just jump into that a, a little bit more for us. When you talk about Abbaology, maybe you should talk about the name a little bit, uh, but also talk about specifically what you mean. And then uh, again, share a little bit about your experience with that kind of courtroom faith idea as well. You know, when I, when I look at the, the, the quote, biblical trajectory, I see consistently, um, the divine acquiescing to where humanity's understanding was at a given point in history or in a given culture and meeting them there, speaking that language to connect with them and then grabbing their, their arm and nudging them into an increased level of liberation or revelation. God actually tells Abraham to leave Canaan and go to Egypt. So when we think of Egypt, we think predominantly of bondage. Um, of a loveless taskmaster who's decreasing your materials while increasing production, like Pharaoh did, which sounds a lot like fundamentalist religion. But at one point, Egypt was actually more liberating than Canaan. So then this time passes, and then Egypt, which was once liberating, now has become very confining. Okay, so God shows up, quote, shows up in the form of Moses, uh, to, to meet them in that, uh, what had become very binding, very, very much bondage, and then lead them out of it to the next level of freedom, biblically speaking, which again, we think of bondage when we think of the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. But compared to Egypt, it was more liberating. So then Jesus comes, uh, you know, and I love the song of Moses where Moses prophesies, he says, he says, another one will come like unto me, hear ye him. It says in Deuteronomy 32. So he's prophesying, prophesying Jesus. And I always think about like uh, the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses, Jesus, 
and Isaiah are Elijah, sorry, are all there representing the law, the prophets, and then, you know, the kingdom of God or what Jesus was bringing. And then of course, Moses and Elijah disappear after Peter says, let's, let's build a church building for all three of them. And he puts them on the same level. And then they disappear in the vision. And God says, this is my son, hear ye him. So for those Jewish ears, for his Jewish disciples, I believe their mind would go back to the song of Moses. Those, those words, hear ye him, which we read in our, like a King James Bible. And that, cause they were still dealing with doubt, I think. Uh, and they did all the way to the end. And so that was confirming to them, okay, this is the guy. This is the guy that Moses talked about. Like we can chill. We really can follow him. So Jesus comes into Moses's world, the law of Moses and, you know, at that time was Second Temple Judaism. Uh, and he then comes into that world as one of them. Jesus was a man born under the law, sent to those born under the law. It says in Galatians, so you were not born under the law. I was never born under the law. Right. Uh, so that raises all kinds of questions, but I don't want to get off track with my answer. But I want to just show this pattern of God coming into a certain form that was once liberating, but then over time became confining, confining. And God's like, no, I want humanity to keep on this trajectory of increasing consciousness and revelation. So Jesus comes and he speaks their language. He quotes their scriptures, but then he takes them way further. I mean, he literally quote would quote their writings and then directly contradict them, uh, which I lied to myself about that for years. That was actually one of the when I started talking about contradictions as a pastor, we lost people with that too, because you have to talk about the Bible being a magic book that dropped out of God's lap, you know, and, <laughs> you know, I used to joke about how Moses was like, you know, just chilling on his front porch. And then all of a sudden, like his head goes back and his arm goes out and his, you know, and his yes. hand starts moving as God dictates to him uh, his books. So Jesus comes in there and he meets them there. But then he leads them out. And, uh, and that system comes to an end. Uh, and then Paul comes and he starts talking about, uh, and sorry, and then one of the things that Jesus took them into was the familial realm. So there were mentions of God as a father in the Old Testament. They exist 100%, but certainly not emphasized. God is still very much a judicial being. Uh, you know, you are assumed guilty until you're proven innocent by your religious performance or accepting Jesus in our day. But then God, Jesus starts saying things like your father in heaven. And we mentioned a little bit earlier, if you think of the, uh, and I think this is underemphasized. This is a big part of what abology is, is the underemphasized family message brought forth by Jesus. And then, uh, you know, also Paul, but mainly Jesus, and he actually begins the Lord's Prayer uh, in the first century, surrounded by Jewish people who have met zero criteria to go from outside the family of God to in, which for me was saying the sinner's prayer, walking the aisle, baptism of the Holy Spirit. At one point, I thought if I didn't speak in tongues, I wasn't saved. I obviously don't believe that anymore. Um, all these criteria, because we're taught we're born outside the family, and you need to meet these criteria to get in. Jesus is surrounded by people who've met zero criteria, and he begins the Lord's Prayer 
they literally ask Jesus how to pray. And he starts by saying, our father. And one day that just like, you know, it was like, it was highlighted to me and it just hit me that Jesus was preaching familial realities to these people that most of them were resisting his message. They wanted him gone, some of them. They wanted to kill him maybe already. And he says, our father. In other words, we are one family with with one source. You know, and that word pater in the Greek translated father means source or progenitor. So Jesus was really saying our source, as in all of our source. We all come from this one source, whether you've met any criteria or not. And he was just trying to, I believe he was trying to bring relaxation. You know, he even said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So our father, and I started to, that this was coinciding as I had deconstructed hell and rapture and all these judicial fear-based doctrines uh, where it was almost assumed that basically I'm on a defendant stand, you know, and God is the judge and the devil or whoever is the prosecutor. And Jesus is my like defending defense attorney. I'm always in that realm with all these doctrines. But as you peel them away, you actually start to think more familial and you start to look at your fellow man and they, they finally become more than just what they've been indoctrinated with. Like I used to say when I was preaching that humanity lies right behind the indoctrination. So when you meet with someone in person or I'm seeing you on zoom, you know, I, I can see your humanity. Obviously we agree on a lot of stuff. We have a similar approach to spirituality. So that helps. But even if we totally disagreed, it's very difficult to get face to face with someone and not see their humanity, hear their story. You know, and I think that's part of the reason why Jesus said, if you have aught with your brother, go meet with them face to face, you know, because something special happens. One of the big parts about this podcast is to help people feel like they're not alone. And I think a couple of the things that you said definitely will help people feel that way. Like, you know, we're in this space of liberation, feeling constraint, being liberated again. And it's amazing to me that we're in this space with Christianity right now, where people are fighting so hard for this thing that used to liberate them, even though they currently don't feel liberated anymore. Where we are, right. If you're starting to feel confinement, the only natural belief, I think, is that liberation is coming down the line. You know, confinement precedes liberation. Yeah. So I want to say that because I know when I first started to feel it, I didn't necessarily know liberation was next. I just had all these questions. Why do I feel this way? And am I, and I was always, always asking myself the things that I'm going after are so different than what is taught where I just came from. Am I the one that's off? Uh, And I think that's healthy to ask yourself, am I the one that's off, you know, and and self-evaluate things every once in a while. Um, but then I did start to see, and this, and I want to bring this back to the whole faith journey concept, because I realized it took me more, quote, more faith to continually grow than it did to just camp for years and years and years in this predictable space. Uh, some of the, and I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but say, you know, you've got a really great job with a great salary at a, at a big church and you know your bills are paid and your family's taken care of but yet you have this stirring inside that you can't silence and you can't talk about the questions that you have because it puts your job in jeopardy uh like the last mm, 3 months I was a pastor I hosted this meeting at my house called uh, the Las Vegas Theological Society 
which is cheesy, but the whole thought was what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so I wanted a place at my house that wasn't a church building where we had bourbon if you wanted it. You can pour yourself a beer, you can drink coffee, you can drink water, whatever. And and everything is allowed. Any topic is on the table. And I wanted preachers and pastors and worship pastors and these people where they could add, they could talk about this stuff and they could get it off their chest in a safe space. And we would never tell anyone from their church that's on their board that decides if their contract is renewed, you know, things like that. And the first meeting we had, this pastor came, oh my God. And he just wept. He wept. Mm. His, his, uh, his contract was renewed every July. And he had a family with kids and a wife. And uh, he could never rest in his mind. And he said, I've been wondering about hell and sin nature and inerrancy for years, but I've never been able to even talk about it. And he was just crying. And he was so thankful to have a space to do that. So again, practically speaking, if you are that person with with your church job and you're asking questions, one thing you could do practically is to create this meeting over on the side uh, that's in a relaxing space where people feel safe, where you can discuss the type of things theologically that you have up here on the shelf, but you don't necessarily want your boss to know or the board to know. I think the you know, the spiritual journey, the faith journey, the kingdom of God, whatever you want to call it. I like to say it's a three-strand cord of theological, practical, and relational. And I think in evangelicalism, it's mostly we just hang out on the theological strand of that three-strand cord. Uh, You know, but you're asking about practical things, and that actually really excites me, because without the practical, it's tough to put our new theological stances which are always subject to change probably you don't believe now what you believe six months ago practically put them in place in life where you can continue to be free to continue exploring so we need the practical and for me when i was pastoring the relational realm was what challenged the theological realm so practically speaking i like to ask people uh what I felt like Holy Spirit or or God, whatever you want to call it again, uh, asked me to do, which was get relational with the people I was always told in church not to be relational with. Uh, You know, go have coffee with, if you struggle with LGBTQ, go have coffee with someone from that community. You know, if whoever, whoever it is, uh, because it circles back to what we talked about originally, but when you see the humanity across the table and you hear someone's story, Uh, I think that realm really challenges us to go back. If you're the type of person that needs to study it out, to go back and study it out. Or the uneasy feeling won't leave until you go dig it out. Some people, I'm that guy. I know that feeling. Okay, this is the feeling where I need to go study something for myself. And that feeling doesn't leave until I do it. Um, So get relational if you're not already. Your, your, uh, Your audience probably is already. But if they're not, uh, do get relational with the people you are told not to get relational with. <laughs> Allow the relational realm to invade your theology. As we bring this home today, 
Man, there's a lot you could have taken out of that conversation. But as we bring this home today, I guess the first thing I want to grab onto is this idea that if you feel stuck, there's always ways to get unstuck. Whatever that means for you. We talked a lot about in professional settings, but that can look a lot of different ways. And so if you're feeling stuck, feeling like you can't see a way out of your current situation, there's always a way. Sometimes you just have to get creative. And then finally, and boy, you know, if we get nothing else ever, in life, let us get this part, which is that relationships trump theology every single time. So get across the table with people who you think differently from and move your faith from, as Jake would say, from the courtroom to the family room. Special thanks to Jake Stringer again for joining the conversation. You can find out more about him at abbaology.net. That's A-B-B-A-O-L-O-G-Y.net. And of course, if you want to support this podcast, you can subscribe to it, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. You can be on my website, which is mattkinzera.com. Find me on social media on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also find the show on Facebook, which is Chasing Goodness. And until next time... And until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together.